Sunday morning we're studying the book of 1 Peter and uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. And if you just wave to them and get their attention, they'll be happy to get a Bible into your hands and you'll be able not only to listen this morning but also read along, which is always so helpful. And then if you don't own a Bible, please uh, make that Bible that's been handed to you your own and uh, take it home and read it and become familiar with it. First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, verses 10 and 11 this morning. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. and We never turn to it except that there's just a sense of awe and a sense of privilege at being able to do so. And we thank you, Lord, for these two verses. We thank you for everything that is bound up in them by your Holy Spirit, everything that they are intended to accomplish in each one of our lives this morning. We just surrender ourselves to you, the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would continue to fashion us and form us into the image of Christ and into the children that you want us to be, Lord, through the reading and the teaching of this passage. We pray for that work of your Holy Spirit in our midst this morning, now through your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In this section of his letter, the Apostle Peter instructs us concerning spiritual gifts. As I read the book of 1 Peter, and I come to a couple of verses that have to do with spiritual gifts, and I think of all of us, and it, it, uh, I don't think it would be a reaction that would be unusual, but here we are reading along and in, in reading it, and I think that it might seem odd to some of us that a letter written to suffering Christians would include exhortations concerning spiritual gifts in Christian service. Think, what in the world is this? Is he just kind of coming to the end of the letter and just starting to punch different things into it before he gets through? That's not what he's doing at all. The Holy Spirit really knows exactly what he's doing and what we need to hear. During times of trial, during times of suffering, we can be tempted to feel that in order to survive... We need to throw off everything in our life which taxes us or requires the expenditure of strength or effort toward others. And so we're tempted to retreat into a life of isolation, tempted to treat, uh, retreat into a life of self-absorption. And if we're not careful, that can go so far that a Christian will be tempted to quit their Christian service, 
quit the use of God's gifting in their life, God's calling upon their life, which then often leads to isolating from the body of Christ or from Christian fellowship altogether. And so Peter steps in and he declares to us that hard times are not a legitimate reason to stop serving the Lord, uh, to cease fulfilling God's call upon our lives. Because candidly, if all of us quit, when difficulty came into our lives in the difficulty and challenges of living in this fallen world, then there wouldn't be anybody left to do God's work. But even more than that, unless we're directed by the Lord to do so, uh, whether or uh, it becomes physically impossible for us to continue the ministry that God has called us to, and that's real, and that, that does happen. But the decision to quit God's call upon our lives is a disastrous decision because it cuts us off from the very thing we need most at the moment during times of difficulty. The experience of spiritual gifts and the exercise of those gifts in Christian service keeps us busy and in the mix of things in a very good way, and in a very, very important way. It keeps us from an unhealthy isolation that we really are tempted to retreat into. It keeps us focused on others at a time when we really desperately need to see the world as bigger than our own problems. It keeps us in contact with what's normal in life, which is very, very good in times of suffering and times of difficulty. It also keeps us in spiritual environments and in contact with spiritual health and spiritually healthy people, which is needed for us to be able to maintain a spiritual perspective spiritually healthy perspective in the middle of trial and in the middle of suffering. So in times of deep trial, we need these things more than ever in order to stay healthy spiritually and to grow. And the interesting thing about Christian service and operating in God's gifts upon our life is that it keeps us in that place. This is one of the great blessings of Christian service. So often as we begin to serve the Lord and serve other people as a result of it, we can tend to think that this serving the Lord is so one-sided. We do all of the giving. Other people do all of the receiving. But that isn't true at all. We need Christian service, not only because of what it does in the rest of the body of Christ and in the world, but because of the very things, the good things, that it accomplishes within our lives. And so Peter, he removes the idea, just takes it right out of our thinking. If any of us are tempted, either today or tomorrow or next year, if the Lord should tarry, he removes the idea that quitting our Christian service, abandoning God's gifting in our lives and his calling upon our lives because of trials, he, he removes that as an option to any of us. I want us to notice his instruction to us in these two verses. In verse 10, Peter informs us that every single Christian is supernaturally 
gifted by God. Each and every one of us as Christians has been given at least one spiritual gift by God. Every Christian, if you're a Christian here in this room this morning, then you it's important for you to realize that you have been supernaturally gifted by God. God didn't just save you. He didn't just forgive you, as wonderful as all of those things are. But when the Holy Spirit came into your life, He also has given you one of the, what is called a gift of the Holy Spirit into your life as well. The Apostle Paul, he emphasized the same truth in his first letter to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he said, But the manifestation of the Spirit, speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is given to each one for the profit of all. He says later in that same chapter, verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He, that is the Holy Spirit, wills. And so God gives each one of us at least one spiritual gift so that each of our lives as Christians will be characterized by the supernatural of His Holy Spirit in our lives. No one should look at any Christian in the world and in looking at their life in terms of spiritual gifting, in terms of godly character, in terms of love, but we're talking about spiritual gifts this morning. Nobody should be able to look at any Christian life and uh, view that life as just being kind of the, uh, the life that's being lived out before them as just being kind of the uh, expression of their natural talents or of their natural abilities. And so God gives us these, it shouldn't be able to be explained in terms of the natural talent. One of the reasons that God gives us spiritual gifts is so that when people come into contact with our lives, they'll recognize that the only explanation for the quality of our lives, including spiritual gifts, is the fact that God Almighty is alive, Jesus is risen, and that He is living inside of us. If our life is just looks like everybody else's life in the whole wide world and there's no difference as a, as a result of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, then there really isn't any glory that goes to God related to that. And so one of the reasons God gives spiritual gifts is in order to be revealed in us and through us. He wants to be seen in us. And that only occurs as something beyond the natural is in our lives, something supernatural. And again, as I said, this is, uh, can be in the realm of the love that comes out of our lives. It can be in the realm of our godly character that God is developing in our lives and also, very importantly, for this morning, related to spiritual gifts. Well, if I am sitting, and, and for some of you this is a kind of a familiar territory, and for others of you it's brand new, if I was sitting here and I heard that, wow, as a Christian, I have at least one supernatural, priceless gift of the Holy Spirit that has been given to me, then the very next question that enters into my mind is, what are the spiritual gifts that God gives to us? There are several lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. One list is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, also in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and also here in 1 Peter 
chapter 4. And in our text, Peter characterizes spiritual gifts, encapsulates them, and puts them into two categories. In verse 11, he speaks of, uh, describes speaking gifts. That would be like a gift and a calling of a pastor or a teacher or a prophet or the gift of prophecy or exhortation of word of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, that kind of thing. And so he's encouraging those with that kind of a gift to speak as the oracles of God, speak with the authority of God. If God has given you that gift and he's given you something to say, now make sure that you say that. And then he speaks of verse 11 of ministry gifts or serving gifts. And these gifts are the doing gifts. Uh, a deacon has this uh, gift within their life, a gift of mercy, hospitality, helps, administration. These are ministry or doing gifts. I'd like to spend a few minutes this morning giving you kind of a brief uh, run-through of the spiritual gifts that are listed in Scripture in order to become a little bit familiar with them, or at least to prime the pump in terms of interest related to them. And with the realization that as a Christian, you possess at least one of these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to begin the list of gifts that are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can turn to it if you like. But in chapter 12, verse 8, one of the gifts that the Apostle Paul writes of is the gift of the word of knowledge. And a word of knowledge is where God reveals a piece of information or a fact to us that we could not otherwise know except by divine, supernatural revelation. One of the great examples of it in the Bible is in uh, Jeremiah chapter 32. The prophet Jeremiah receives a word of knowledge from God that his cousin Hananiel is going to come to him and uh, offer him an opportunity to buy a piece of property that belongs to the family before it is sold uh, outside of the family. So before anything happens, God reveals this through a word of knowledge to Jeremiah. And that's what a word of knowledge is. Word of wisdom, Paul also writes of that. And a word of wisdom, wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. It isn't natural wisdom, but it is a supernatural wisdom that God gives to us for a given situation. Again, we go back to Jeremiah and Hananiel. When Hananiel comes to Jeremiah and they were blood relatives, and he offers Jeremiah the opportunity to buy this piece of property from, a, uh, from the family. It's, it's an a offer to make one of the worst real estate uh, transactions or purchases in human history because he's offering Jeremiah an opportunity to buy this piece of property immediately before the Babylonians are going to conquer the entire southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem and take possession of all of it. No one in their right mind would buy a piece of property at that particular point in time. But God wanted Jeremiah to buy it 
to model to the children of Israel that this Babylonian captivity will not go on forever, that you will come back into the land and possess this land once again, and property owned will once again be valuable. And so God spoke that to Jeremiah. Hey, Hananiel is going to come to you. He is going to... Uh, offer this land to you. That's a word of knowledge. That's a fact that he could not otherwise know except by divine revelation. All right, he's going to offer the land to me for me to buy it. What do I do? Do I buy it? Do I not buy it? And the word of wisdom then is what to do with that piece of knowledge. And God said, I want you to buy the land. And so often a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge work together uh, in that Way. And so a word of wisdom is supernatural wisdom for a given situation. And it can operate either in our own life, it can operate in a ministry, church board members can have uh, these kind of gifts, also in business. And I think it's important to realize that not all ministry in Christians' lives occurs on the four corners of a church property. God can give you this gifting in order to make you the best nurse that you can be or the best business owner in your particular field in the world. It's a supernatural enablement so that people look at you and say, listen, I know he's smart. I know he's got a degree in business, he or she. But, I mean, there is no explanation for what that business has become under him for all of his abilities and all of his talents. There's something more about his life. This guy seems to have direction from God. And then God has given the glory even in a secular environment where maybe it's needed the most. So it isn't just happening within a church. It happens all over in life. Paul then listed the gift of faith, and this is a supernatural faith that God will give us when he's asking us to do something that is beyond the realm of normal faith, the gift of faith. I think of Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John are uh, heading through the beautiful gate and they're headed to the worship, uh, the temple in order to worship. They come to the beautiful gate and there's a man who is sitting there and he's uh, been, he's lame and he's begging alms. And Peter stops before this lame man, declares silver and gold, have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took the man by the arm, lifted him to his feet, and the man not only walked, but in excitement over all of it, began to dance around and, and celebrate all of it. Peter didn't lift up every lame man that he saw for the rest of his life. But God gave him a word of knowledge that I want to take and heal this man for my glory. And then he gave Peter the gift of faith to know that that was God that was telling him to do it and then to take that step. And so the gift of faith, a beautiful gift. And there's the gifts of healings that Paul lists. And this isn't referring to talented doctors as wonderful as, and as highly as we uh, think of them and are thankful for them, this is when God uses a Christian to channel a supernatural healing into the life of another person 
who is in need of physical healing. And the Gospels are full of examples of the gifts of healing. The book of Acts are filled. Christian history is filled with the acts of that. And I would dare say any local church in this community has a history and could tell you stories of God ministering one of his gifts of healings to uh, someone in need. Then there's the working of miracles. We remember Jesus turned water into wine. Peter raised up Dorcas from the dead in Acts chapter 9. And that's a spiritual gift that God can operate through somebody's life, the working of miracles. I tell you, if God gives you that gift, ooh, you've got to walk close to God to keep your head screwed on straight. Otherwise, you're going to be wearing like I do miracle pins or you're going to be, you know, doing this and people are going to be falling or audiences and stuff like this. So um, it's a really a, a very real gift, a very beautiful gift. But uh, I think you can get, if you don't stay close to the Lord, you can get goofy on it. Then there's the gift of prophecy. And prophecy means to speak forth for God. We think of prophecy in terms of foretelling the future. It can be that, but it isn't necessarily always that. A person prophesies when God has given them something to speak, and then they speak that forth to an individual person, uh, or it might be in an afterglow, or it might be in a church congregation or part of a of a teaching. It means to speak forth God's Spirit using a human instrument. Paul wrote and he said, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And this prophecy is more than preaching. It's more than teaching. It is speaking the right thing for the moment or for the need. It's speaking forth what God wants to speak forth in that situation. And he gives a revelation of what it is, and then that person speaks that forth, a very valuable gift uh, in the body of Christ. Paul then speaks of discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits is a divine, God-given revelation of what spirit is at work in a given situation. There are three spirits that operate in the world today. There's God's spirit. There are demonic spirits. And then there's the spirit of man. And sometimes it's very hard to discern what spirit is operating. I think about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts when he was in the city of Philippi. And as he's preaching the gospel there, there's a demon-possessed girl that's going around. And she is testifying, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God. Everything she's saying is right. Everything she's doing is right. But Paul isn't, he's uncomfortable with the situation and all. And he recognizes this is not a human spirit. This isn't God's spirit that's operating through this woman. This is a demonic spirit, even though what she's saying is right. And then he cast the demon out of her and got in all kinds of trouble. I'm not saying that exercising the spiritual gifts will keep you out of trouble. Uh, they can... Uh, create some problems for you, but that is the gift of the discerning of spirits. Very important in any church that some number of people, especially in leadership, but not limited to that, 
the gift of discerning of spirits, of what spirit is operating here, and, and recognizing when the Holy Spirit is or isn't, and then making decisions on the basis of that. But not solely, uh, you know, that gift isn't solely loaded up toward church leadership. You can be in a situation where everything is all confusion. It all, it all looks right, everything that's being said right, but inside of your spirit you have no peace. There's something wrong here. There's something wrong here. There's something wrong that I can't see here. And there's that recognition, the Holy Spirit, for all the appearances, the Holy Spirit is not at work in this situation. And it's God giving you the gift of discerning of spirits so that you have a clarity in that situation that you wouldn't otherwise uh, possess. Then there's the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues. The gift of tongues is a supernatural enablement of the Holy Spirit to speak prayer and, and uh, praise and thanksgiving to God in a language that God gives to a person. The interpretation of tongues is a supernatural gift by which God reveals what is being spoken in tongues in a language. It, 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 the interpretation lets us know what's being spoken, which we wouldn't otherwise know except God gave us the interpretation in our own language. Paul also wrote of the gift of helps, and this is the Holy Spirit, uh, his desire and, uh, and empowerment in a person's life to help those that are in need, need of any, and it speaks of any kind of, any kind of need. So it is a, this is a supernatural, and we tend to overlook it. We just say, oh, this, you know, uh, this is just being me, or this is no big deal, I'm just doing this behind-the-scene work. But the gift of helps is a very real gift, and it is a supernatural, God-given burden for the needy, for the afflicted, for the sick, for the poor, and not everyone is gifted to do that. So you look at those that are volunteering and serving at the gospel mission in town. They have, among other things, the gift of helps. The person that is going to help a single mother change the oil in their car or fix a plumbing problem that they might have or an incompetent pastor as it relates to um, plumbing uh, come in and take care of mow the lawn for an elderly person. This is the gift of helps in action. And so some people, you put some people in that place where the gift of helps is needed and they'll just burn out. Or they'll just stand there and they won't even know where to begin. God bless them. That's all right. It, but you put a person with a gift of helps in that situation and things start to move. They know exactly what needs to happen and they start to move in that situation. It's a beautiful gift. And here's the funny thing about it is Peter talks about those that have like a speaking gift and then those that have like a doing gift. And so often the the speaking uh people, they get a little frustrated with the doing people, and the doing people look and say, that person only talks, but he doesn't do, and, all. and, we, and we get kind of gift-centric. We think that our gift or style of gift is the most important gift, but God gives these gifts. We all have different gifts, so that even in a local body like Calvary Chapel of Modesto, all these gifts are operating and represented 
because they're all needed. And so you put a person with a gift of helps, you know, they're probably not going to make the cover of some Christian magazine or something like that. But I'll tell you, the body of Christ would be lost without it. And a key witness to the heart of God for the world would be lost as well. Then there's the gift of administrations. And this is a word that's used there, speaks of a navigator on a ship, someone who steers or directs. And so here is an administrator, for instance, on a church staff who's able to uh, steer a church through uh, difficult times or difficult uh, circumstances. And so you want this kind of person on a church board, and uh, you want your church administrators, of course, to have a gift of administration. They keep things organized. They keep things uh, on course. They come in, and they see a inbox that's three feet deep with paper, and some of us look at that and our heart would sink. They get all excited. They go get another big cup of coffee and they can't wait to tear into that and get it all in its place and just right here. This goes to this person, they'll do and this. And they just love to walk around in a facility like this or a church like this, a service. They just love to see everything operating the way that it should. And again, this gift of administration doesn't just operate within the boundaries of the body of Christ. God can give you that gift, put you in a position in a business or in some other kind of place or in a family. And then what you are able to do through that gift makes you so valuable to that business or to that family. And there's that recognition that this is a gift from God that they have. And it brings people to Christ or it allows them to see that God is alive and he's at work through your lives. And then there is the gift, there are the gifts that are listed in Romans chapter 12. And Paul there, he lists the gift of ministry, diaconia. We get our word deacon from it. And uh, you have where prophecy is declaring truth, diaconia or the gift of ministry is practicing truth. It is the physical serving of other people. So deacons need to have uh, be gifted in this way as well as others. He talks about the gift of teaching, and that's someone who is gifted to make the Word of God clear, to read it, uh, to explain it, and then to apply it to our lives. And sometimes, you know, we go to churches and all, and sometimes we don't know pastors or Bible teachers, maybe in a men's Bible study or women's Bible study. We don't know that person before they became a Christian. And we don't realize that before they became a Christian, they're the biggest introvert in the whole world. You couldn't get two sentences out of them. They had a fear of public speaking, all of these kind of things. You just think this is a natural thing that they're doing, and it's not. And it is a gift of teaching that's been given into their life. Or they may be a teacher in an academic setting, and they may be a very, very good teacher in that particular setting. But it's an altogether different thing and a different dynamic to teach the Word of God and to teach it effectively. There's another angle to that, that it doesn't happen in a purely secular classroom. And so God gives that gift. There's the gift of exhortation. And so this is uh, the kind of person that has a gift to stir people to action. 
Sometimes you get that gift of teaching and exhortation uh, together, then you really have something dynamic. Some people are teachers, so they will read and explain and apply the, the passage, and they will leave kind of the exhortation to the Holy Spirit or the want to to the listener. And you've got to bring the want to to that with that kind of a, of a teacher. Then you've got another kind of person who has the gift of exhortation, and they'll come in, and by the time they're done, I mean, you're ready to go out and uh, lift cars and throw them around the parking lot. They've got you so pumped up in, in a, a good way. It's a fabulous gift. Then there's the gift of giving. Let's go ahead and just take an offering again right now to just identify. People get touchy with this gift. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that every Christian is called to give financially to God's work through tithes and offerings. So we can't just say, I don't have the gift of giving. It's up to all of those people. This is a gift beyond the giving of the tithes and, and of the offering. And, and this is the kind of person where they're gifted by God to give, to materially bless other people. And they have a very mature attitude as it relates to money. They recognize that it's a tool. They recognize that the advancement of the kingdom, the helping of other people oftentimes involves uh, money and usually does involve money. Uh, and so they love to give toward it. And so when they become aware of a material need in somebody's life, they will typically begin to ask the Lord concerning his direction financially concerning it. Another person with a different gift won't even enter their mind. But someone with a gift of giving, that becomes their immediate prayer. And I would like to say you don't have to be rich to exercise the gift. And it doesn't have to be thousands or millions of dollars. It's a beautiful gift in the body of Christ. I think only God knows how much is done around the world and the bo- through the body of Christ because people have that gift and they exercise that gift. Then there's the gift of leading. And some people are just gifted by God to lead. And it's a spiritual gift that he gives to them. And so any leader of any ministry in the body of Christ should obviously have this gift. But again, in the, in kind of the, you, we can be a Christian and have this gift and exercise it in a, uh, otherwise secular environment. You can have a coach that loves the Lord with all of his heart. And God gives him the gift of leading, and he can lead that uh, college football team to a national championship. Or he can lead, uh, or someone else can lead in the military, lead uh, uh, forces to victory. And it, it is something supernatural, and God has recognized in their life when people realize that that man or woman is also a Christian and this is a gift of God in their lives and God is glorified in it. Then the gift of mercy, that's a supernatural gift of encouragement and that's a great gift that is needed, especially for those that visit others in hospitals or convalescent homes as well as encouraging people that are just overwhelmed. So if I'm, if I'm lying in a bed in a hospital, I don't necessarily want someone with the gift of teaching supremely to show up. 
And then finally, in the book of Revelation, in conclusion, my first conclusion, you know, it's four hours later, you know, you're, hitting, you're hitting that pain thing, you know. Nurse comes in, man, you really worked through that. Eh? Or the gift of exhortation. You want the gift of mercy to come in through that door. And it's a great, great gift. And so we just think, well, everybody has that gift. They do not have that gift. Not everybody does. Somebody walks in with that gift and, uh, and they, they come right along somebody and begin to minister encouragement in just a powerful way. Well, these are the gifts that are listed in the scriptures. And now that we know what the, these gifts are, that inevitably raises the question of which gift do I have? How can I know what is my gift? And I have a simple one, two, three step means for discovering your spiritual gift. And it's a book I've written. You can find it in the bookstore. They're for sale for $1,200. Now, the fact of the matter is, is there is no easy kind of one, two, three step for you do it this way and, and you're automatically going to know by on the basis of this formula what your gift is. But I can give you a couple of tips to help point you in the right direction. Number one is just seek the Lord in prayer concerning this. Just start talking with him about it. Lord, I, that man told me that you, I've got at least one spiritual gift in my life. I don't have the foggiest idea what it is. I need you to show that to me. And number two, when you talk with God about your gift, and that gift is tied to your calling, then you're talking to someone who is more motivated for you to know your gift than even you are to know your gift. So he's going to show you what your gift is by the means that he chooses. He's going to re reveal that to you. So you need to be confident in that and just kind of relax as it relates to all of that. As long as you want to know and you want to exercise that gift, then uh, God is very eager to reveal it to you and he will do it. There's also an illustration that I heard many years ago that I think is very helpful in coming to recognize our spiritual gifts and our callings. I don't think it's foolproof, but I think it is very very valuable. And it goes something like this. If I invited you over to my house for dinner, we've just finished a sumptuous meal of pasta, pizza, Pepsi. Now we're going to have ice cream. And so we've finished this fabulous meal filled with carbs and we're full. And I invite you to now leave the dining table and we'll go into the living room and enjoy a cup of coffee. Let's say I had a 10-year-old daughter who was going to uh, pour the coffee into the cup, put it on the saucer, and then bring us our coffee in the living room. And as she's making her way from the kitchen through the dining room, and she hits that lip now where it goes from uh, vinyl or from tile uh, to the carpet, she hits that lip, and all of a sudden, the coffee cups and the saucers go into the air, coffee all over in all directions, and she falls flat on her face. Now, if you're sitting on a couch in my living room and you witness that, you will do something. You will have a reaction 
to that experience. And very often the reaction that you have as a Christian to that experience will reveal to you something about your calling and about your gifting. For instance, the person that's in that environment with the gift of prophecy, tendency will be for your response to be verbal. Honey, you fell, but realize that life is full of trials and full of falls, and always remember that God is the God of second chances. The person with the gift of ministry or the gift of helps, their response won't be verbal at all. It'll be all action. They will leap off the couch and begin to help clean up the mess and, and, and make sure that the carpet doesn't get stained and help her get cleaned up, and that will be their reaction. They won't even think to say anything. That's just what they will do because that's what's inside of them. The person with a gift of teaching, honey, now let me show you how to walk with two cups and saucers, and the key is don't look at the fluid that's in the thing, but realize there is a transition between floor surfaces and you have to be careful. And and so let's uh, want you to, this is how you handle it the next time. The person with a gift of exhortation. Girl, (laughs) you can do better than that. Now, you get right back in that kitchen and get two more cups. We're not going to let you finish on a miss. You're going to get this right. You go back and, and come out and, and do this thing right. You can do it. It's inside of you. And that, and that 10-year-old girl go in that kitchen, ooh, 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 <laughs> ready to come out. That's the gift of exhortation. The person with the gift of leading, they'll leap up, take charge of the whole situation. Who told her to carry that coffee? Anybody? I saw this problem coming from a hundred miles away. I saw this problem coming. And, and so somebody get her cleaned up. Let's get something over here and somebody to work on these carpets before the stain sets in. And let's move that coffee table out of the way. In fact, I don't like how this room is decorated at all. We're going to remove everything in all of its particular places. The person with a gift of giving, I think, oh, that's too bad. Those broken cups and saucers, I wonder how much they cost. We need to, we're going to need to replace that because that's part of a set or she's going to feel terrible over that. And that's their first thought and reaction. And the person with the gift of mercy, they won't care about cups or saucers or carpets or damage or anything like that. They're only concerned about the person. Oh, honey. <laughs> You have to, you must feel so terrible. You know, one time I was carrying a big spot pot of stew and I had the same thing happen to me and it fell all over the place. And your response will tend to be verbal in that way as well. We already possess a gift from God. It's already in our life. And this is often how it pops its head up so that we can recognize it. And so often it's operating already so supernaturally, naturally in our lives that we don't think that it's a gift from God. And so that we don't take that gift and recognize God has given this to me. And this is where he is supremely glorified in my life. So I'm going to make sure that I take time and resources and effort, the limited time that I have in this world, 
and concentrate it toward this gift and toward this gifting for God's glory in my life. And so the message of our passage here this morning to those of us who are veterans related to all of this, to those who are serving, don't stop. No quitsies because we hit a period of difficulty or suffering in our life. So Peter looked at us as if we all stop because of that, then everything grinds to a halt. And it's not an unloving thing to say to us because the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God's calling upon our lives, is not only a blessing to other people, but it is vital to our own lives and to our own maintaining of perspective and healthy contact with people in the world, in the body of Christ, when we are in these kind of seasons. And then for those of you for whom all of these things are new, it really plants a great seed in your heart to begin to seek God and discovering God's gift and thus His calling upon your life. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage, and thank you for the things that we need to hear from it. And those of us who have been around for a while, and the difficulty comes, and sometimes the difficulty is greater than we've ever faced before, and the great temptation to isolate, to retreat, and to resign your gifting and your calling upon our lives. And we pray that you use this morning and this passage to keep any of us from doing that and protecting and rescuing, Lord, your gifting and your calling in the body of Christ. And we pray for each one that stands before you for whom this is something entirely new. And you've heard me do some sanctified boasting concerning you here today, Lord that if they seek you, you will reveal your gift to them in the way that you choose. And we pray that you would use this time this morning to help direct them. And we pray, Lord, that you would answer their prayers to know that gift in your call upon their lives. And then, Lord, direct them into focusing and concentrating their life upon this place of supernatural fruitfulness in and through them by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things of you, pray these things to you, in Jesus' name. If you stand here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you need to do that today.